Judgment. And uh, any of y'all that have studied uh, the book of Ecclesiastes knows that uh, that's tough to find in, in Ecclesiastes. Uh, tough to find those encouraging moments. And, and I got to be honest with you, this chapter, chapter 4, is particularly tough to identify those things that are going to be encouraging to you and where you can take that and say, oh, that was a feel-good message. And as we get into this particular chapter and the way I've broken it down, uh, you know, there isn't a happy ending in every time that we're going to be talking, but there are some good lessons. And that's what I'm going to hope to bring before you this morning. Um, first things first, though, uh, I just heard this morning and I confirmed that, and, and I should have known this, I just didn't, but this is Military Appreciation Month. How many of y'all knew that? Yeah? Okay. But it is. Military Appreciation Month. If you were in the military, please raise your hand for me. Anybody that was in the military? Amen, brothers. If we had the time this morning, I'd go around and have you all just give us a little, uh, you know, background of what you did in the military. But our time would be up if we did that with so many, uh, so many men. But just thank you for your service. Um, yeah, so let's get into this. Uh, we're in the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes. And here's the title for today, which is just wonderful. The Oppression of Men and the Futility of Life. <laughs> Okay, where do we go with that? Well, let me talk to you a little bit about it. Um, how many of this, uh, this you know, the, the newcomers table, you haven't been to any of these before, is that right? And um, some of you guys may have been able to come. Let me just give you a quick background where we've been. Uh, chapter 1, uh, Solomon, who's the guy who's writing this book, I mean, he's the one that's assumed to be writing this book, um, he concludes that everything is meaningless. And uh, then he says, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Okay, there's chapter one. And then chapter two uh, concludes that pleasure is meaningless and the wise and the foolish suffer the same fate. So there's really a lot of encouragement to get out there and be wise and, and, uh, and not be foolish, right? Okay, um, and then he talks about work being futile. And then in chapter 3, he holds out a ray of hope. And that ray of hope is that being happy and enjoying ourselves, we can live well because those things are a gift of God. Okay, there we go. There's some encouragement for us. Uh, but then he points to the injustices of life, saying that men and animals are basically the same, suffer the same fate. Okay, well. I could I could live the life of my dogs. My wife uh, my wife dotes on them uh, uh, like I wish I could be doted on, but that's okay. But he closes the chapter with the idea that men can be happy in their work, and so then we get into chapter four, and. I was reminded, uh, how many of y'all have seen The Bridge on the River Kwai? Remember that movie? All right, not a lot of hands. That's a great movie. You ought to check that out. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a military, it's, it, it's, a, it's a movie that takes place back in, in, in World War II where um, prisoners of war uh, were being held by the Japanese on an island, and, and it was just a terrible existence for them. And, and the, uh, the colonel, the Japanese colonel who was in charge, his name is Saito, he, would, he, he wanted the men to build a bridge, and that was the, sort of the topic of the movie, the bridge over the river Kwai. And um, so they, of course, didn't want to work, and they didn't want to do this, and he, he was making life miserable for them. And he kept saying the same thing over and over again, and my father used to 
say it to me whenever I would grumble when I was asked to go do work around our house. And that statement he said was, be happy in your work. And so he would tell the men this over and over, trying to get them to work, and they would build this bridge. Little did he know that throughout the entire time they were building this bridge, they were looking for ways to sabotage the bridge. So yeah, be happy in your work, but they were trying to sabotage that work. Um, and so when I think about being happy in your work, as, as Solomon's talking about it, we get into chapter 4, and then he's talking about the foolish notions that man grasps in an attempt to be happy and successful. And so as he starts to get into that, he talks about one thing first, and that one thing is oppression. Now, we're familiar with oppression. In fact, oppression is probably that thing that helps create all the movies that us guys enjoy a lot. I think of the movie Die Hard, right? Die Hard. John McClane in what, six or seven Die Hard movies or is it 12 or 15? I don't know. Anyway, he's always trying to, you know, trying to recognize the oppression that he's being faced with, whether it's, you know, airport security or whether it's robbing a bank or whatever in the heck it is. Um, recognize it and then do something about it and then prevail over that oppression. Okay, that's why I probably those Hallmark movies movies my wife likes to watch, I don't get into. There's no oppression in those movies. You can't, there's nobody trying to overcome anything. Uh, so, um, but if we think about oppression, it's not just in our, in our culture today. It was throughout the scripture. Let's take a quick look at that. Kings, not talking about the book of kings, but kings themselves. It says in Proverbs 28, 16, a ruler with no understanding will oppress his people, but one who hates corruption will have a long life. So there's oppression that kings would give to their people. Rulers, it says Deuteronomy 24, 14, never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. Okay? The affluent, Proverbs 22, 16, a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Uh, the poor, you'd think, okay, how are the poor going to oppress anybody? Proverbs 28, 3, a poor person who oppresses the poor is like a pounding rain that destroys the crops. That's a lot of oppression, and it doesn't end there. With God's people, Jeremiah 7, 6, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows will I let you stay in this land. And then, of course, bankers and business people, Ezekiel twenty-two nineteen. they are hired murderers, lone racketeers, and extortioners. There are hired murderers, lone racketeers, and extortioners everywhere. So this is what Solomon has been looking at. And he refers, in this particular case, to the oppression that is evil. And I think you could say from what we just read there, what we just you know, heard about, all of that oppression is terrible. It's evil. It creates dysfunction, and it, and it, and it makes people miserable. And so Solomon is referring to that, and here's what it says in the opening verses of this chapter. chapter verse 1, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all, 
are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Those are the first two verses of this chapter. So what's Solomon talking about here? Not just depression necessarily, but we have this deeply held belief, like in the movies with John McClane. Would it have been a great movie if the planes had crashed and, and, and nothing had survived in that first diehard movie, or if the guys had ended up robbing the bank or what all? Well, I don't think so. What we want is to see good prevail over evil. Good to take the place of this oppression. Oppressions, oppressors will be overturned. Good will win. And Solomon says he's looked at the, quote, entirety and the, quote, whole of human oppression. So what is oppression then? To treat with violence and injustice, to load with hard, injurious usage, to bear hard upon a person in opposition to showing mercy, to oppress by violence or fraud, violence and calumny, something taken away by force or fraud, unjust gain, anguish, distress, injuries. This is what Solomon studied. Now remember, Solomon, remember, the wisest man that has ever and will ever live. The guy who is able to take everything that he needs to understand, put it in a proper perspective, and be able to understand it. And this is what he says. He looked at the violence oppression which man heaps upon man on the job. He looked at the oppression that children suffer. He looked at the oppression that teachers and coaches force on the people that they, over, that they uh, oversee. He looked at all the ways leaders can use the government to oppress. And he looked at it all with compassion. What was his problem? Where, where was the solution to all of this? There was no one to comfort them, he said. Now, the situation is so bad that Solomon says what? Well, they'd be better off if they were dead. Even more, they'd be better off if they had never been born. So they wouldn't have to know about this oppression. And to me, this seems pretty harsh. But the words to the key of understanding this are in that verse, number two. And let me give it to you from another, um, another translation. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. You catch what he just did there? The dead who are already dead. Who's he talking about there? What's he talking about? Who are the dead that are already dead? They are people are physically alive, but spiritually dead. Now, who are those people? Well, those are the people that have no hope, no Christ. They are the ones that have no uh, um, uh, life of, of God or hope or spiritual wellness in them. And so they're physically alive, but spiritually dead. Gentlemen, these are the people that we run into every day. These are the people that you have to pray that God is going to open your eyes to knowing who these folks are. Yeah, we come together this morning and it's great seeing everybody here encouraging one another and shaking one another's hands and finding out what's going on in one another's lives because we all know that we're spiritually alive here or at least we're, we're trusting in that. 
And we're talking about that here, and we're trying to create an environment that that can, make, that can become a reality in your life. But when you go to work and when you are out there in your world, you're going to meet people all the time that are physically alive and they are spiritually dead. And they don't always come across to you as being spiritually dead. They may have a happy face. They may smile. When you say, how you doing? They might say, I'm doing great. But they may be spiritually dead. And there is only really one way to understand whether they are that way or not. And that is if God, through the Holy Spirit, will help you understand what's going on in that guy's life. When you ask somebody, how you doing? Most of the time, what we're thinking about is the next thing we want to say and tell them whatever it is that we're up to. And we're not always listening to that that information that that person might be sharing with us that could get you to say, oh, there's an issue here. What can I do? How can I engage in this person's life to help them to understand that they may be spiritually dead, that what they think is important in their lives and what they're doing right now isn't as important as they think because spiritually that is what is going to help them through these issues where they come against this kind of oppression that Solomon's talking about here, being spiritually alive. Now, he doesn't end it in this verse, but most of the time in, in Scripture, we get that ending that we look for. And here it is. I'll just read this one for you in Psalm 81, 11 through 14. And this is a terrible thing that God's talking about up front. But my people would not heed my voice. There's one way to be in great oppression. And Israel would have none of me. Terrible situation. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Yeah, oh, that would never happen to us, right? Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. There it is, guys. Now, Solomon will eventually get to that. And, uh, and of course, one of the, the ways that Solomon is writing this is to leave us hanging for quite a long time before this kind of solution is offered. But we have the entirety of Scripture that we can turn to as we're trying to interpret these verses. And this is the key. Now, those words are not part of this chapter, but next week we're going to look at where Solomon wants to go next as he talks about the foolishness and the ways of the world.